Once a vocal opponent of the Freedom Convoy, Ottawa NDP MPP Joel Hardin is now complaining about noise bylaw tickets being handed out by police at a pro-Palestine protest. An unvaccinated veteran firefighter is suing his former employer, alleging he was misled about keeping his severance pay and pension upon resignation amid COVID-19 vaccine mandates. The BC Supreme Court has issued an injunction to a government amendment meant to prevent open drug use at playgrounds, claiming it caused irreparable harm to drug users' human rights. Hello Canada, it's Thursday, January 4th, and this is the True North Daily Brief. I'm Cosman Jurja. And I'm Lindsay Shepard. We've got you covered with all the news you need to know. Let's discuss the top stories of the day and the True North exclusives you won't hear anywhere else. An Ottawa NDP politician who called for a crackdown against the Freedom Convoy is complaining about noise bylaw tickets being issued to pro-Palestine protesters. Joel Hardin, a socialist member of Ontario's legislature, was ticketed for using a megaphone at a rally and is now highlighting the need to protect core civil liberties. Hardin expressed his frustration with being fined in a letter to Ottawa Mayor Mark Sutcliffe and members of Ottawa City Council. The tickets in question were handed out at a large pro-Palestine protest held on December 30th in the Canadian capital. Many were quick to call out Hardin's hypocrisy, given that he had been a staunch opponent of the Freedom Convoy. While the protest was still ongoing, Hardin referred to the convoy as an occupation and suggested it had anti-Semitic elements. Carleton Progressive Conservative MPP Goldie Gamari took to X to ask Hardin why the double standard. Does the law not apply equally to everyone? Lindsay, every time I hear of Joel Hardin, he's at some protest. I don't honestly even know what he does. He's an MPP, he's in the Ontario legislature, but beyond his activism, I haven't really heard anything, any sort of bill he's proposed. It seems like he's just always trying to get attention. Well, Cosman, it's coming full circle with Joel Hardin and his megaphones. Um, Listeners may remember back in June 2023, this MPP tweeted his battle scars, you know, proudly. He tweeted uh, a photo of his face where he has a little kind of bloody mark on his cheek. And he wrote, I'll take a punch for queer and trans youth any day. So he was at, you know, some sort of um, rally to protect trans kids, Um, you know, whatever that means. But then further footage was released on X, on Twitter, that showed Joel Hardin actually just bumped his own face with a megaphone. So his own megaphone just kind of cut his face a little bit. This this story may be um, ringing some bells for you. So he was trying to portray himself as some sort of hero who 
is getting beat up in the streets trying to protect trans youth, you know, quote unquote trans youth. Uh, but it turns out he just kind of hurt himself a little bit with a megaphone. And now here he is again in January. A COVID-19 vaccine mandate for city employees has led to a quarter-million-dollar lawsuit between a former Fredericton firefighter and his ex-employer. Gregory Billings, who resigned from his position as captain of the New Brunswick City's Fire Prevention Division after 21 years of service, is suing the city for $280,000 in compensation and damages. He claims he was misled by city human resources staff into believing he would lose his severance and pension if he was terminated for refusing to comply with the vaccine policy. Instead of waiting to be terminated, Billings claims he was led to believe that resigning from his position would lead to a better outcome and his entitled benefits. The lawsuit, filed on December 14, 2023, also accuses the International Association of Firefighters Local 1053, Billings' former union, of failing its duty to provide a member with proper representation by not filing a grievance on his behalf. The city and the union have not yet filed statements of defense and declined to comment on the matter. The allegations have not been proven in court. True North was unable to reach the union for comment. Billings said he was earning about $140,000 per year, including overtime, when he was sent home without pay on September 3, 2021, for not following the masking and testing protocols for unvaccinated staff. He alleges that in October and November 2021, human resources staff gave Billings false or negligent information, claiming he would forfeit his retirement severance and pension benefits if he was fired for not getting vaccinated. Cosman, Gregory Billings should not be in this situation at all. He shouldn't have had to resign and he shouldn't have been threatened with being fired. You know, it, a lot of people have really moved on from the COVID-19 period. They don't like to think about it. They don't like to remember it. Uh, they've just moved on in all senses of that term. But still, we are dealing with fallout. This is one example of that. Another example is in British Columbia, healthcare workers who did not get the COVID-19 vaccine still haven't been allowed to return to work. Even though we have a crumbling healthcare system and, you know, staff shortages, all that, um, unvaccinated workers are not allowed to return. So we're still dealing with these issues. As for this case with Gregory Billings, do you have any predictions for how it might turn out in the courts? You know, it's tough to legally predict the outcome of a trial if it does go to trial this could be settled before anything ends up in a courtroom but i do think that this case is a little interesting in the sense that billings claim is that he was misled by his employer most of the cases i've seen and read about in the news concerning wrongful dismissal due to vaccine mandates during the COVID-19 pandemic, actually tackled the issue of the mandate itself. And a vast majority of those times, I've seen the rulings be on the side of the employers. So if the city of Fredericton did in fact mislead Billings here by telling him that he could keep his pension and his severance pay, 
which was not the case. I, I, like, I knew this when I was covering the pandemic from everybody who talked to me, paramedics, nurses, doctors. They were told explicitly that they would lose all access to these benefits in either outcome. So if it does go to court and the evidence holds up, I do think that there's a good case to be made here. Keeping drug users away from playgrounds would cause irreparable harm, British Columbia's Supreme Court has ruled. The BC Supreme Court issued an injunction striking down an amendment by the BC government which tried to keep drug users away from areas where children congregate. The province was nine months into a pilot project to decriminalize personal possession of illegal drugs under the weight of 2.5 grams. By federal exemption, fentanyl, heroin, cocaine, meth, MDMA all became legal to possess and use anywhere throughout the province. The Playground Amendment was enacted September 18th to walk back leniency on where people could use their drugs, restricting users to be at least 15 meters from a playground, skate park, or outdoor spray pool or wading pool. Police were instructed to direct users to leave those areas if they were found using drugs there, but were discouraged from making any arrests based on the Restricting Public Consumption of Illegal Substances Act. The original decriminalization order already included the exemption of schools and childcare facility premises as restricted areas. However, following an injunction issued in December, BC Supreme Court ruled that preventing users from areas including under the playground amendment was a violation of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. BC Supreme Court Chief Justice Christopher Hinkson stated that restricting those areas would impose irreparable harm to drug users if they were directed away from them. The injunction is temporary and remains in place until March 31st. The plaintiff in the case was the Harm Reduction Nurses Association, who argued that any restriction on drug use in public areas would likely result in, quote, lone drug use, which would increase the number of fatal overdoses. In this ruling, the Chief Justice does admit that there is a harm posed to the public, especially when there's things like needles discovered at these locations. But to me, the ruling doesn't quite make sense, and the argument by the Harm Reduction Nurses Association is that if they're not allowed to use at playgrounds and, and these skate parks or wading pools, then they're going to resort to lone drug use. But under the decriminalization exemption, they're still allowed to use drugs in other public areas. So to me, the logic doesn't quite add up. Just because they can't use at a playground doesn't mean that they're going to have to go use alone somewhere out of sight. But beyond those technicalities, the ruling considers this hypothetical irreparable harm done to drug users. But what about the irreparable harm done to children or parents or members of the general public at large? 
Right, Cosman. Almost every municipality in British Columbia has stories of needles being somewhere where children play. I mean, this time last year in Vernon, BC, there was a daycare um, that had a stash of narcotic paraphernalia that was in one of the playgrounds, and the kids actually got poked and, you know, had to seek medical attention. And the staff of the child care center said, and a neighbor also said, that they discover needles and other drug paraphernalia on a daily basis almost. Frankly, it's it's just sad that the discussion on this issue has descended into like, okay, how far away do people have to be from a playground or from a skate park or outdoor wading pool to inject their illicit drugs? It should have never gotten to this point. And Cosman, you brought up the Harm Reduction Nurses Association. They were the plaintiff in the case and their argument about how if there are restrictions on drug use in public areas, then the drug users will, you know, do the drugs in private and that could put them at a safety risk because they would overdose and no one would see them and it would be fatal. And I've seen this type of argument before. Um, For example, there was one nurse who was you know, decrying how the local fast food restaurants had put blue lights in the bathroom because it meant that, you know, the drug users can't see their veins as easily. So it is a measure to prevent drug use in the washroom. I remember the nurse who was quoted in this article, she was saying, you know, it's better if they overdose in a bathroom of a fast food place like a Tim Hortons because then at least someone will catch them and someone will find them. Um, Like since when did it become a minimum wage Tim Hortons worker's job to open the bathroom door to do a cleaning and then they see someone who has overdosed? Like why does the burden have to fall on those, you know, kind of low wage workers? That is not their job. They are not social services people. Also, in addition to the fact that more and more municipalities in BC have places where people can do drugs in the presence of healthcare professionals, you know, safe injection sites. So there are places where they can go that don't involve uh, leaving dirty needles around children's play areas. That's it for today. Make sure to check in at www.tnc.news throughout the day for all the news you need to know. Also, please keep an eye out for The Andrew Lawton Show and Ratioed with Harrison Faulkner later this afternoon. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget to share our work with your friends and neighbors. And if able, please consider supporting independent media at donate.tnc.news.